0: Welcome to the MB Raleigh Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Woodcox. On today's episode, we're discussing bicycle and pedestrian issues with Dwight Otwell, a member of BPAC, that's the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was fascinating just to talk about what's going on in Raleigh as far as bike and transportation options. I hope you'll enjoy it as well. I want to welcome my guest, Dwight Otwell, uh, a member of the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission an advocate for better transportation options, and a Twitterer, um, at Midtown Bike, if you want to follow him. Dwight, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you, for having me.
0: So today, I've been on my own bike. I've been on a scooter. I've been on a line bike, e-assist bike. And then on the way home, I almost got run over on Capitol Boulevard, just to remind me that we make those choices as difficult as possible. Why are we getting it so wrong?
1: Well, we've built our environment for a long time to favor cars. Uh, ever since the end of World War II, the suburbs have kind of exploded with these uh, single-use neighborhoods. It makes it really hard. Like, getting around in my neighborhood is great, uh, and uh, I don't know where you live, but most places is pretty nice, and so you have to cross a big road like that. And so those are our biggest hurdles, I think. Uh, that particular intersection that you're having trouble with, I think, is going to be – addressed in the current project to redo that bridge so hopefully that'll make it a little easier for you to get downtown
0: yeah it certainly it certainly would i mean i live in five points my my office is probably three miles or less away from uh from where i live and i should be able to take a bike there pretty easily but um until they address the bridge issue and or i think that they're putting a greenway in um through the park that they're building there at uh peace and west street um maybe that that'll okay. be another yeah, I think that'll be another option that will exist in the future. But I mean, we're we're making progress. It's slow but steady, I suppose. Um, but it's it's a really big it's a really big problem because it, so many times it feels like um, you know, just like driving down Glenwood today. I thought, you know this this road from Five Points to downtown or Glenwood South, it's just not conducive to anything but cars, really. Um, And there are sidewalks on the side, so I guess it could have some pedestrian use, too. But that kind of third option, as far as an alternative vehicle, there's not really much of any infrastructure there.
1: No, uh, it makes it very difficult, like you said. I actually came downtown on my bicycle a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and I took Glenwood. And it was beautiful. Like it was so fast, and it was the flattest route there. And I had no idea you could get downtown so fast. So it made me jealous that all this, uh, all this infrastructure, is being reserved for a single use. So hopefully, hopefully we can move the needle on it. And get, there's, I think there's space there. There's, uh, you know, there's space for all these uses to exist. Maybe not for all of them to be prioritized.
0: So you how long have you been on the bicycle and pedestrian advisory commission?
1: Last October, um, and I still am trying to get a feel for exactly how the B pack can best serve the city. So we're, uh, I think we're starting to have a good impact. But it, I'm still learning the ropes myself, and I'm uh, admittedly an amateur at this. So I try to do a lot more listening than talking. So we'll see how good. I'll be.
0: So, uh, how did you get involved? Just kind of on on this whole issue. I mean, obviously, you have a personal um, interest in in using a bike and uh, in transportation options. How did you get involved in kind of advocating on, on, for city policies?
1: Well, uh, it happened gradually. I ride my bicycle for work and for my primary form of transportation when I whatever errands I can run. And so, you see firsthand the kind of things that you're dealing with like he dealt with today um and so i would complain where's the crosswalk here you know why is this road in the condition that it is and start to meet the people that are involved and start to ask how can i have a positive influence or have my voice be heard because sometimes it feels like the infrastructure that they design does really well downtown and you try to do some of the stuff out here and you run into problem with the neighbors. And I think that we have more problems with barriers than we do with linear features out here in the uh, north of the belt line. So I asked how to get involved and you, you ask your representatives and they direct you to start volunteering for these committees and started bugging our uh, city council folks and got myself uh, nominated. It was, uh, it was a, lengthy process of getting to know folks and took a couple of years, but it kind of happened organically.
0: So I'm just, I'm interested in how this, uh, particular commission functions in the, in the city level. Obviously all of you are appointees, um, and the city council appoints you, um, and you serve for a, a, a term, I suppose. And then, so, do you kind of come up with things that you want to advise the city on? Does the city come across problems and then refer them to you? Is it kind of both? How does that work?
1: It is both. It is both. So we develop our own work plan where the things that we want to get accomplished in the ways that we think we can help the city function. And so we do things like Walktoberfest is coming up. And so we're sponsoring that. And there is the Bike Walk Summit, which uh, we will be helping host again. They're coming back. Uh, this is their like, – Raleigh gave birth to the first summit and they're coming back home and everybody's very proud of that. We also do things like review plans. And right now our bicycle planning committee, which is a subset of the commission is looking at the universal development ordinance for street sections. Hopefully we can come up with some designs. that are a little bit more up to date for their standard applications when they're applying these projects. And from the other side of the city comes to us when they have big projects, uh, widenings with recent Avent Ferry project and they will come before us with the balls of the news when it goes through and six forks uh, For example, and they will the engineers will present the plans And I think this is where we've been having some impact. So we've had some projects come before us the past couple months and they prescribed or designed a standard bike lane and the direction of the bicycle community and our BPAC has been going in the past couple years is that those kind of facilities do not attract the kind of users that would like to ride their bicycle but are concerned about riding in traffic. Like It's just not comfortable to be on a road with just a stripe of paint between you and the big trucks and you don't feel great bringing your kids out there or your grandmother out there. So we've been saying to these engineers, and they're doing a great job, and they're really trying hard to provide the best facilities they can, so it's a pleasure to work with them. And, but we, we send them back and say, hey, can you do something you know separated? We'd like to see a multi-use path or a widened sidewalk instead of this, or in addition to this bicycle way. And we have now seen the, this come out with some positive results, uh, and they're coming to us with the new Overland Road project with a separated bike lane. So some of the feedback we got is because we've been pushing for these separated facilities, engineering is starting to incorporate these earlier in their design. So we can uh, hopefully get a lot more of the separated facilities out there for us.
0: You know, in the in the last um, election, there was a lot of conversation about bike lanes and, and putting bike lanes in and how much it costs and whether it's worth it. And, and kind of, there was just conversation around that. And it seems like you know, as Raleigh was finally waking up to the idea of a, a different type of infra- infrastructure, um, and at least putting paint on the road, people said, "You know, really, that's not going to make a big impact on whether you get the, the person on the bike who otherwise won't take it." Um, as you said, it, they're not going to feel safe. they particularly if they're elderly or not as mobile, um, they're not going to want to want to use that. And so, if you really want to make an impact in cities across the country and in other countries. When they've really made an impact, you've seen these dedicated facilities. Um, is is the pushback on that just cost? Is it logistics? How does it? Why why is there? Why is that not kind of a default position when they're when they're redoing or widening?
1: Well, when they're widening, the issue is usually right of way. So no. they. Uh, in my opinion, they prioritize the throughput of traffic. So you have a certain number of car lanes that this is what we start with, and this is the given that this road is going to have. And then we try to fit in all the other stuff. And there's just not enough feet between the houses, and it's expensive to acquire all that right of way. So it, it usually comes down to space. And we've been seeing these projects that come at us late in the design period. And they and we say, what can we do? And they're, well, if we don't have the right of way. We haven't acquired it. It's not part of our design. So we hope by getting these kind of things established earlier and getting some of these plans put into the UDO that these will be, from the beginning, it's easier to acquire this right of way. And when you look at it from the very beginning, it's not a great additional expense when you're doing a big road project in the first place. Uh, as far as retrofitting stuff, it's cheap. And I think it'd be a great thing for the city to do, but there's a lot of political pushback when you take a lane of auto traffic
0: or from what I, I'm hearing you say is you, you get into the conversation a lot when there's an ongoing road project, either widening, repaving, kind of a rethinking of however the road is going is to look. Is there also a strategy just for we want a bike network and we want to make sure that we use our roads to do that and we want to connect certain places um, th- through that means? Is, is that also a part of the conversation, not just when there's a, a widening, but also a we're just going to think about bike infrastructure in and of itself. There's,
1: there's a comprehensive plan. So built into the, the UDO, the UDO is part of the comprehensive plan. And forgive me, I'm still trying to learn all this stuff too, and it can be a bit confusing. Um, but there's, we have a bike plan, which is part of the comprehensive plan. And it lays out the protected networks and the bike lanes and the facilities we'd like to see both in the short term. There's a 10-year plan and then a long-term plan. And it integrates with the Greenway plan so that these together can provide some pedestrian connections and access. And this is where these repavings and these resurfacings come from. So every summer they resurface a certain number of the roads to try to keep up with maintenance on a rotating basis. And they'll analyze the bike plan and say, hey, this road that's up for resurfacing is supposed to have bike lanes. So then our bike planner will, as an engineer, design these facilities and then bring it before the board Onto the council the council this time took the vast majority of the bike lanes and passed them on and had some slight changes that personally was disappointed in but it was a it was a compromise and we got some better facilities than what were there before so we're still moving it forward as far as like the bigger stuff like uh the hillsborough street bike lanes and the bike lanes the bike paths that will be going in when they widen the six forks that's part of the capital plan and when the capital projects go through they also analyze the bike plan and try to conform to what uh, is laid out for the future and that's part of the bpac's duty is to
0: update the bike plan and make sure it is in line with the city's vision so turning our attention from bikes for just a moment we've got to talk about the scooters <laughs> um, obviously oh, can i ask you a
1: question do you mind if i jump in yeah go ahead please do
0: said you rode the e-bike today yeah i I think that's really exciting i heard that those are here now
1: and i I think that those and the scooters can be a game changer i'd like to hear about your experience on the e-bike for line bike
0: yeah so i uh you know i I just saw it sitting there because i didn't see any scooters around i'd actually not used a line bike of any type before and then i realized it was an e-assist bike i was like oh that's cool I'll, i'll try this out and see what it's like and you definitely feel, you know, you're getting a little bit of help, you know, and, and it's and it's giving you a little bit of a go, um, particularly like when you're sitting there waiting at an intersection. If you start to turn the pedals, it's going to try to get you to go get going. It's going to give you a little boost as you start. So I had to be careful when I was stopped at a stoplight to make sure I didn't touch the pedals at all. Otherwise, I was going to have to slam on my brakes to make sure I didn't creep out there into the intersection. Yeah, the intersection. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh I could definitely see if, you know, if you're a person that just that needs a little bit of help, um, then it's it makes bikes a lot more accessible uh, for more people. Um, and uh, as a mobility option, I feel like it, it kind of um, levels the playing field to a certain degree. And, well, I'm excited about them. I hope they
1: get good adoption. And that's one of the great things, I think, about Raleigh's bike plan that's getting ready to launch is that they're going to have a half-and-half half e-assist fleet. So that is hopefully going to be a good asset coming online.
0: So actually, before we get to scooters, let's let's talk about that for a minute. So the city has been working on this docked bike plan for a long time. Um, I was just
1: looking at the calendar. It, they started in 2014. They were starting to study it. And <laughs> so like, oh, it's, it's like oh, we've been wanting this for so
0: long. Yeah, nothing in city government seems to move quickly. Um, and what's interesting, in a way... Raleigh was ahead of the curve um because all of these private companies that are now out there trying to provide this service um they hadn't come to cities the size of Raleigh as far as I know um but now you're seeing you know these both docked and dockless bike plans going into a lot of cities all across the country um and and you know the private market is flooded in here obviously with the line bikes Although, and though they kind of started at state I mean you see them in and around downtown and other places more and more these days it seems like um, so as far as docked versus dockless bike shares do you think that there's a definite preference can they work together is this something that can be harmonious do they, are they automatically going to kind of eat each other's market what do you think
1: I think that it's I, I hate making predictions here I hope that they can complement each other I, in the way that we have a discussion about transit, where are you going to focus on, you know, the core dense places and get ridership, or are you going to disperse and get coverage? I think that a dock system can give you some really great, like, dense, reliable, you know where they're going to be, and you know where you can leave them um, uh, for the for the ridership. And nationwide, that's what we've been seeing, is that dock systems get, like, higher rides per day than the dockless systems do. But personally, living out here, way up here, north of the Beltline, like it would be great, decent dispersal. So I hope that the Dockless can fill some of those gaps. You know, I think that we it would be great to see some Dockless bikes up here, in the North Hills development, and help you by the time they develop all along St Albans Road, it's going to be three quarters of a mile of uh, urban development there. I think that would be a great place for the uh, Dockless bikes and the scooters.
0: Right. So I want to I want to get back to North Hills. because I know we've had that conversation in the past about um, what it looks like and how it can be improved as far as uh, transportation options. But I do want to turn to the scooters for a minute, just because I know that the bicycle, the B pack, has been asked basically to try to help um, with the dockless bike share and well, as well as dockless scooters help the city come up with a, a plan. So what are we going to do about these scooters?
1: So the plan right now is to use a regulatory environment that already exists. Um, And this is something, again, that that I'm freshly learning, so I might get some of the details wrong, but we have a right-of-way agreement or an encroachment agreement with companies that use our right-of-way for profit. So like Google Fiber wants to bury wire in the ground. They come to the city, and there's this framework set up where companies can pay a fee, and the staff can create regulations that the city council then improves and allow these companies to, uh, operate. That is what staff is proposing is the best way to deal with this, because it does not require a new ordinance or a separate regulation that will then require you know, provisions for enforcement. So the, the framework is already there and the system is set up to take this kind of, uh, to operate this kind of contract. And it is going to allow us to dictate where they can be placed, and we will be able to place caps on the number of units, be they bicycles or docks or whatever, the hoverboards or whatever comes next, right? All right. Um, and it, of course, it being a city regulation, it will probably be written very broadly like we have the right to change this at any point, at any time. And, you know, but there, Intent is not to stifle, but to allow the city staff time to catch up and make sure that it's not taxing their staff too much uh, moving bikes that are blocking sidewalks or responding to complaints. Uh, I don't think personally there's going to be that many problems, but the city is is concerned about for-profit companies operating in the right of way and creating negative externalities for their staff.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, I've been on the scooters. They're a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, it seems like everybody is just happy as a lark when they're on one. Um, but I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're safe legitimate safety concerns. It seems like, you know, people just refuse to wear helmets. Um, and it might be, you know, if you're taking a spontaneous ride on a scooter, you're probably not packing a helmet with you unless like I did today because I was already on my bike um, or, or or you just you know you're you're already planning to get on the scooter or something like that I know Bird is sending out helmets for for free if you just pay for shipping so maybe that that's something that needs to be beefed up also people are riding on the sidewalks um, I know that you said uh, you, you sent out a tweet that basically said that people are riding on the sidewalks because they don't want to ride in the road and die um, so, like,
1: so I rode the scooters too and my friend she was in from Germany she came with us and she's you know, she's used to riding on the roads or the the separated stuff in Germany. And she's used to the drivers there. She came here, she's like, I'm not riding on, on the roads. Like, I don't feel comfortable here with these these really big cars that drive fast and we have big intersections where people make quick turns. And she just, she didn't feel comfortable out there. Um and I understand that, I, I think that we need to, this is, I, I generally don't favor a lot of government regulation in the city, but I think that to make people comfortable we need to find some balance. Uh, I'm not sure that I support banning the scooters from the sidewalks altogether, uh, especially up here, like if we're using them out in the suburbs, like there's a bunch of kids that have electric scooters, and if we ban-, ban them from the sidewalks if that's citywide then now that we're putting them out here on the roads like um when they ride them to school and stuff uh, and as far as helmets go. Uh, I will be wearing a helmet from now on because I'm trying to be good about it, but it is, if it's going to be a spontaneous thing, you can't expect people to have helmets. It it was Seattle, or was it Portland? I don't know if you followed their bike share debacle, where they had, it's one of the cities in the country that has a bicycle helmet law. And so they were enforcing that you had to have a helmet if you were going to use the city bike share. And it's one of the only bike shares that failed in a city that size. And a lot of people blame the helmet law because, if this is going to be a day-to-day part of your life, packing a helmet around is a big hindrance to that. Like, If it's a sport on the weekend, it doesn't take much effort to put a helmet on your head and ride off and have fun with your family. And I do that too. But if you're going to be riding back and forth to work and then to pick up your groceries and then to do your errands after work, like always having the helmet with you or in the bag and tracking it is uh, is going to deter a lot of people from using that service. I think that we should work to pass laws to make it that people could, just like on bicycles, require them for the use, but not for the adults.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I can understand, you know, if you're walking around downtown, I was walking around downtown today, I mean, there there are tons of scooters down there. I mean, it's a totally different thing than a month ago, how people are getting around. And I can understand how the city looks at that kind of, change happening so quickly and obviously bird has a business model where they don't they kind of ask for forgiveness rather than permission um we can argue about whether or not that's appropriate or not but i mean it's not a a disruption disruptive businesses like that often follow that type of business model it seems like now particularly technology companies um and so i can understand why people are like where did this come from is this dangerous is this going to be a problem i think one of the real values of it is a lot of people are taking these things and they're starting to realize, hey, you know what? There's no infrastructure available that makes sense on this. The sidewalk doesn't really work. The road doesn't really work. I've got maybe a painted bike lane, but I don't feel safe in that. And people are realizing this kind of like third way, not walking, not in a car, is not being served by any of our current infrastructure. And so now it's becoming not just something nerdy city policy people like me and you discuss on a podcast but i like to talk about it with my friends who don't think about this kind of stuff at all
1: that's the really exciting aspect of this to me and that i hope it triggers that kind of conversation and whether it's scooters or whatever comes next like there is this disruption happening and uh, there's a lot of people that are kind of happy to see like the people taking back the streets a little bit and people are complaining about bird being everywhere and I see it as everybody that's on a bird is probably avoiding some kind of car ride. So we could have that kind of negative impact of somebody me on a scooter or somebody buzzed me in their car. And every time you see somebody on a bike or on a scooter or walking, that's somebody that could have been driving their car where they're going. So I think we need to put those kind of modes first.
0: All right. So so turning turning to kind of land use, you know, as far as North Hills, I think that you've kind of said in the past that, um, maybe it hasn't, that North Hills hasn't maximized kind of an urban transportation plan, that it's still a place that you basically drive, most people drive to, uh, and then they may get out and walk around, but it's obviously densified, um, to a certain degree over the last few years. And it seems like, what John Cain maybe originally intended that project to be, which is we're going to activate this space, bring in economic activity where a mall had kind of went under and, and turn it into a, a destination. Now it's almost like it's an area of the city with its own character and its own, um, identity. And to a certain degree, it's kind of a victim of its own success. It seems like they didn't know it was going to be an urban place, but now it is an urban place. What do you think about that?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting to see his progression of work. So he first did the Lasseter, which was where the old Cardinal Theater was. I don't know how long, how, how far back your memory of Raleigh stretches. Um, but it was a little strip mall there with a theater and a grocery store. And he re- redeveloped that first, and it kind of looks similar to what it was. Like, it's still the same kind of parking lot spacing the street they added a four story apartment building to the back and there's, they, they spruce it up but it's it's basically the you know the 60s and 70s strip mall kind of re- redo. And the next thing that he developed in the area was North Hill Central where the new theater is and the big hotel and it is uh to me it seems a lot like South Point. Uh, it's kind of like a themed grocery, I mean excuse me, a themed uh, a mall and it's it's really nice to be there. But, yeah, you get there because you drive there. Nobody lives there. And if you take a look at the bus stops there, there's people that work there that use the buses and rely on that. But there's not a lot of folks that are that are walking. I see a bicycle over there once in a while. Hey, I just saw a guy out there on an electric bike, and it made me really excited. <laughs> um, so it has the potential. The next thing that he did was North Hills East, and now it's starting to look really urban. There's people living there. There's retirement communities. There's a better mix I think of like office and retail so and he's continuing to move down that corridor and so I hope that uh, it looks like he's learning as he's going Uh, they made some urban mistakes I think as they developed but I mean nobody's built a whole downtown from scratch before so this is a it's done a great thing for our community here and uh, you know we definitely don't mind that it's turned the neighborhood around and made this a, a very desirable place to be but uh, it, it's changing so fast that it, it can cause a lot of anxiety for people
0: too. Yeah, and and you know, as far as um, trying to connect this, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I started the UMEU rally website is to advocate for urbanism, densification, land use policy that helps the environment, that helps people um, afford housing, that helps just create a better quality of life for folks that live in the city. But that also connects to transportation in very obvious ways. I mean, you got to be able to get around. It's no use to have affordable housing. If you can't get to and from where you need to go as far as work or shopping or school or whatever. Um, and so how do you see land use and kind of the transportation, both as far as transit and bikes and, and pedestrian, how does that all connect? How can that be a symbiotic relationship?
1: Well, they're fundamentally dependent on each other. Uh, if we design communities where all our properties are large and the only places you can, the only way you can get around is by car, then everybody's going to own a car and we'll have to build networks that support cars. And it's a self-perpetuating system. Um, you look at how neighborhoods traditionally developed, like small towns would grow up and the single family house that's there on main street no longer can support that kind of use. And it turns into a, a small apartment and allowing those urban areas to grow and allow people to have destinations and homes and lives locally, instead of having to live in North Raleigh and commute to RTP for your job and come to downtown Raleigh to get your culture and see your friends. And these put great strains on our communities and the infrastructure that's required to support those kind of transportation patterns. And so you, you can't, I don't think that you can have walkable communities without good, dense, smart, mixed land use. And I don't think you can get that kind of land use if you continue to perpetuate these kind of transportation systems that we have. I think they have to go hand in hand.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like one of the issues we have in Raleigh right now is we've got this kind of demand, particularly among people who may be um, younger or in a stage of life where they may be buying their first house or, or investing for the first time. And they have this desire, it seems like, to live closer to where they work, to live closer to where they shop or go out, that they're not scared of retail uses or things like that encroaching on their neighborhood. They actually feel like, if I can walk somewhere that I want to go to anyway, then that make, that increases my quality of life. And a lot of those places that are that are kind of naturally developing that way, some of the folks that already live there would rather they not. And then a lot of the places that people actually can't afford, that might be out in the suburbs, they that we don't really have the zoning in place where that kind of environment can be built or is realistic, um, and so it's if it, we've got a mismatch of where the places that are most affordable aren't really having this kind of urbanism, and the places that are. Expensive, where folks that have been there for a long time would rather they not be urban are developing that way, and that's upsetting the people who are already there. Do you, do you kind of see that happening too? Uh,
1: it's so hard because the the suburbs, the way we zoned them and their history, and I mean, I I know that you're aware of all that, and we could get into that for hours, I'm sure. But uh, they're set up to fail. So it's set up so that you're you're given a finished state. Like here is your neighborhood. This is what you are told to expect, like you've made it, you're in your nice neighborhood, now you watch your kids grow up and like, you're sold the zoning, this is a single family neighborhood and they've been told, they've been sold a bill of goods and now to come back and change it on them, it's uh, it's gonna be difficult. Like that's, the, that's gonna be the big challenge of our time, I think. But realizing that this kind of lifestyle is subsidized, like the taxes, that these kind of properties generate, do not pay to maintain the infrastructure that we need to exist out here, the roads and the sewers in particular, and the stormwater, like over 50 years, the taxes on these properties are not gonna pay for all that work. So these are financial burdens on the city. Uh, to make these neighborhoods viable long-term, we're gonna have to densify and we're gonna have to see mixed use. and how well we can convince our neighbors of that will
0: be the measure of our success. So over the next, I don't pick an arbitrary time, five years, how will we know that we're going in the right direction in Raleigh as far as um, kind of unlocking more potential as far as transportation options? Like what, what things can we look for? What could we expect five years from now that we would say, okay, we were successful in implementing the kind of city that we want to be.
1: Oh man, that's a really hard question. That's the that's the the whole like uh, the answer is forty two, but the question is easy. <laughs> um, for my level of expertise, like the things that I study and look into the most, I would like to see a network of protected travel ways. So, like. Uh, maybe we should start moving from calling them bike lanes if we're going to share them and they're like alt lanes or alternative lanes or mid-speed lanes or whatever they come to be and having a a network of protected uh, lanes starting downtown. Like I'd love to see them out here and I got involved with all this stuff because I'm like, Hey, these facilities sucked for me and I want to change this. And then you get into it and realize that the best way to nurture these things are from the successful places and grow those successful places. We have a successful bike culture downtown and we need to reinforce that and extend it with uh, reinfor- with uh, separated bike lanes. I'd like to see ADUs go forward so I'm going to uh, I'm going to give a little derail of the conversation here. One of the things that got me into paying attention to the government in the first place was uh, the ADU issue. I uh, moved away from Raleigh and when we came back we bought my mother's house and my uh, family and I moved in and our intention was to build a cottage for her in the backyard and she would live with us and help take care of the kids and we would grow up and take care of her as she got old um and we were shocked like we got a we got a big backyard and a lot of space we're like you can't just build a little place for her to live back there like no but that's crazy what do you, what are you about? <laughs> and so we uh, decided to build an addition to the house and oh but you, you can't uh you can't give her all the things she needs to be by herself. So like, you can't build not just an accessory dwelling unit, but an attached dwelling unit. So she could have a shower, but she couldn't have a oven. Or we could give her an oven, but then she couldn't have a shower. So like, you couldn't have a combination of things that would put you over the edge of having your own livable space. So it was very frustrating. And they got me into the UDO and got me paying attention to who my representatives were and what kind of issues they like to support. Um, but I, so I would like to see ADUs by right in the city, and I think that would be a good first step to show people that we can have density. And just because we're going to allow folks to build these, doesn't mean that everybody's going to drop one in their backyard, and the, the college kids are going to start throwing keg parties in your in your neighborhood square. <laughs> um, I would like to see more mixed use. So, like as a as a cyclist or as a person who gets around by bike mostly, like selfishly, it'd be great. If we could allow more corner stores to start to seep into the neighborhood, I think that our North Hills development is great, but it has the potential to be um, to be like the malls that we built 20 years ago are like. Crabtree's great, but in general, malls are not doing all that well and strip centers have a lifespan. And if North Hills has a lifespan like that, because it's built kind of like a, a really attractive mall, at least like two thirds of it is right now, um, is that all going to age at the same time If it's isolated from the neighborhood and it goes bad, then that's going to be a real problem for the city. If we allow that density to start to seep out from that really highly dense area that we're building, then I think that we can start to nurture some urban environment and some uh, positive revenue feedbacks as far as tax base. And I think that there's a lot of potential there. So it's very exciting, but it's also concerning to me. Um, I love to see transit. I'm no transit expert. So I don't know, I haven't even looked into it enough to have anything intelligent to say about it. Personally, I would love to see some rapid service. I don't need to see uh, like a separated lane, but I'd like to see frequent service, excuse me, is more what keeps me from riding the bus more often. You go downtown and the bus stops running and uh, or it only comes once an hour. So it makes it really hard to take it back. Um, But transportation and land use are the two things I think that we need to focus on to make our city healthy going forward.
0: I mean, you know, it's a very exciting time to live in Raleigh because there's so many changes that are coming, and I know that they can be scary or they can jolt us or they can disrupt, but it seems like, you know, there are so many ways that we can leverage the growth that we're seeing and just the attention that Raleigh is getting to make everybody who lives here's lives just a little bit better. So um, I appreciate your advocacy on these issues and your service with the city, and I, I just... I'm glad to see you're you're a big part of this conversation.
1: Well, I've been enjoying uh, following you on Twitter, and I've been catching up on your podcast. And I got to say, it's been kind of inspiring to see like the energy that you're putting into this. And it's a like you said, an exciting time, and I think that we're engaging with our representatives in a way that's not really happened in the past. So that's a that's a really good thing to see too. So. Uh, hope that we can find ways to to work together to look for these solutions it's going to be difficult to keep the partisan politics from the higher levels of government from creeping down into the local government which i think has historically worked pretty well for us
0: well thanks for coming on it was a great conversation and uh, i'll probably be be trying to have you back on again to to talk about these issues and see what kind of progress we're making
1: yeah i really enjoyed talking to you and uh, i'll keep my eye out for you hope to run into you sometime
0: all right thanks